Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, I, I cannot tell you what a joy it is to introduce our speaker today. Uh, Sarah Yardley is an amazing human being. She's a, a, a friend. She's one of the most gifted writers and, and speakers I know. Uh, you're going to hear in a moment, uh, originally from Costa Mesa in California, from a mega church there. She's now part of rural village life in Cornwall where she runs a fantastic festival called Creation Fest. You and got you, it. You've literally just come from the festival, pretty much, haven't you, in the last day or two? I have. Are you exhausted? How did it go? Well, my voice isn't always quite this husky, but uh, as you've heard, Pete, it was both beautiful and stretching on every level, and it's just a joy to be here with you today at Emmaus Road. Oh, thanks for coming. And just tell us a bit, how did it go? What did you see the Lord doing? Yeah, so this year has been the year of a thousand changes, and it, it's felt really uphill to plan any sort of gathering. And the beauty beautiful thing about this year's Creation Fest is just being able to see people worship together in the mm. presence of Jesus. Yeah. I've been through all three of the lockdowns here and that, those moments when we couldn't gather and worship, it was just like our hearts were longing to be together. Mm. And we had over 5,000 people who came. Amazing. And there were just several moments where we kind of just sat back and spent time basking in the presence of Jesus along with his people. And those were the moments that were kind of my snapshots that I'll hold on to. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know you've got a particular heart for people who don't yet know Jesus, maybe don't go to church. Just did, did any of those guys come? Yeah, so I always say I love uh, encouraging both the followers and the fringes to find hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that was especially significant for me is that five of my friends who are local made decisions for Jesus Christ publicly at Creation Fest. And we saw over 100 people who either made first-time commitments or just renewed their commitment to following Jesus. And so that beautiful theme that we had, that hope is here and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ, it felt like it was lived out in really tangible ways. Stunning. Well, thank you so much for you know, coming to this country and pouring yourself out and for your leadership for Creation Fest, which is just amazing. It's not just an event. It's one of the most radical, you know, festivals. Even just, they, they pull it off on such a small budget, loads of volunteers. Mm. It's just a brilliant ethic. And one of the things I love about Sarah, Sam and I went out for a meal with Sarah last night. She's just a natural evangelist. She's just fizzing with the good news of Jesus. She was inviting you know, the people in the uh, hotel lobby to come to church this morning. Uh, and just she, she's like, I'm trying to dial it down a bit here. I just <laughs> love talking about Jesus. She's written this book, which is literally just out, I think, isn't Hot it? Hot off the press. Hot, Hot off, off the, the press. press. More change, navigating change with an unchanging God. If you are in a season of change, and to be honest, we all are right now, this is a book about that beautiful tension, about the fact that being a human being is about dealing with change, pivoting, right? But God doesn't change, and it's absolutely fantastic. Sarah Yardley is one of the most thoughtful, reflective, and engaging leaders I know. She reads widely, thinks deeply, and has written a book on one of the most pressing issues of our time, Pete Gregg, 24-7. What kind of words from this actual there, man? There, there you go. Sarah, please just bring God's word to us. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's a joy. Thank you, Pete.
It's an honor to be with you this morning. And as Pete mentioned, it has been a busy last two weeks slash month slash six months. And so I prepared this message yesterday in Guilford. And I love preparing a message in the place where I'll preach it because I believe that God gives us a heart for the particular place where we're, we're sharing his word. And if you don't live in Guilford, maybe I'll just give you a little snippet of what was happening yesterday. I walked into the coffee shop where I was gonna prep and there was a large scale Harry Potter dress up game with 60 adults in full costume looking at their phones to race around. There were parades and demonstrations and the barista in my coffee shop was this beautiful girl named Daisy. And I got to invite her and everyone else there to come to this church. But I started by asking them a question that I often ask, which is, is there a good church in town? Wow. Is there a place where I can encounter something of the presence of Jesus? And she, as is so often the case, she looked at me and thought for a minute and said, I think there's quite a big church. It's a cathedral. I'm pretty sure at the bottom of the street, there's something called St. Saviors. When I was little, I went there once. Maybe you could go to that one. And I was just thinking as I sat in that coffee shop and prayed and prepared this message that part of me wanted to stand at a street corner and like the Extinction Rebellion crew also standing at a street corner shout, but my shouting would have been slightly different. It would have been simply these words. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved by God. And I carry to you this message of love. And today I want to speak to you about Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you about Jesus, the one who knows our weariness, the one who sees our wounds, and the one who invites us to wonder. And my prayer is that the message that we receive this morning would be joyfully alive to the Harry Potter convention, Mm -hmm. to the barista named Daisy, and to your home as you watch today. I'm reading from a passage of scripture that many of you will know and love. I'm reading from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 42. And I'm just going to prepare you. I'm going to read a chunky lot of scripture today. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation because I often find that it puts the words of scripture in the vocabulary that we would use. And my prayer is that as I read these verses, that it would be to you the very word of God alive. We read in scripture uh, that the, the word of God is like broken bread to feed our souls. And I have found over and over, it's the only book that reads me. And so I pray that as we read this passage together, we hear something of the love of God towards us. John chapter four, verses one to 42. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize them. His disciples did. And so he left and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. 
And the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, You are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, the one who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them. It gives them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you are right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly speak the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the place to worship, and we Samaritans claim it is at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. For you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. For salvation has come through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here, now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is searching for those who will worship him in this way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus said to her, I am the Messiah. And just then, his disciples came back and they were shocked, probably a bit outraged, to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar beside the well and went back to the village, running to tell everyone, come and see the one who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And the people came streaming to the village to see him. And the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. And Jesus replied, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. The disciples turned to each other. Did someone else bring him food while we were gone? And Jesus explained, I am fed. My nourishment comes from doing the will of God, the one who sent me, and from finishing his work. You know the saying four months between planting and harvest, but I say to you, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest and the harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people 
and these people are brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the one who planted and the one who harvested. You know the saying, one will plant and another will harvest. And it's true. I will send you to harvest where you did not plant. Others have already done the work that went before you, and now you will receive the harvest. And many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came to see him, they begged him, stay with us. And so he stayed for two days, and it was long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord, and some of you will now say the words, thanks be to God. I'd like to speak to us this morning about weariness, about wounds, and about wonder. I've read this passage of scripture from John 4 countless times, but I was struck again this last week with this really simple reminder. In this story, Jesus was weary. And I wonder if he was weary of the drama that existed between Christians who are both competitive and divisive. Verses one and two highlights a drama that's not for our generation, but this has certainly been the era of church history where we have seen competition and division, even among the followers of Jesus. I wonder if he was just weary very practically from a long journey. I don't know about you, but sometimes these last 18 months have felt like a long journey. And I wonder if he was also weary just a little bit of the people who are surrounding him. He did have a fairly unusual group of 12 followers, none of whom would have been friends outside of the invitation of Jesus. And we find him in this story sitting by a well for just a moment of quiet. And and I wonder if he wasn't just enjoying two minutes peace, two minutes of solitude, two minutes of Sabbath rest. I'm the oldest of seven children. My mother is an actual saint. And growing up, she would often give us this little book with an elephant on the cover, and it was called, I think, Two Minutes Peace. And it was a story of a mama elephant, and all this mama elephant wanted was two minutes peace, but her children always were wanting something from her. She sat in the bathtub with a cup of tea, and then all the little baby elephants joined her in the bathtub. It's as unusual as it sounds, and the visual imagery is still there for me. I know for many of you, It may have been a long time since you've had even two minutes peace. And there are moments where we know the theological and the practical beauty of Sabbath. I will preach Sabbath all day, every day. Our God invites us to rest for our souls. And yet in the middle of that, life and kids and chaos and cancer and lockdown happen. And this Pursuit of rest is a discipline that we must choose. You heard in the interview that I've just finished an event called Creation Fest, and we had joyful worship and 5,000 people and salvation and healing and saw hands laid on and Crohn's disease leaving bodies, saw miraculous healing in silent discos, saw tremendous moments of miracle. 
And in the middle of that, I experienced spiritual warfare like I've never experienced before. Felt like every time I stood up, it was like I was punched in the face and we saw quite literal storms and COVID questions and tears and pain and warfare. And so quite personally, I received the beauty of in this passage, the fact that we find Jesus and he is weary. And I wonder if for some of us, that is not just a little word for us today, that Jesus knows what it is to be weary. But here's where Jesus, both utterly human and fully divine, is other to myself. Because in his weariness, he does two beautiful things. First, he sees the outsider. And secondly, he speaks of everlasting hope. There's been much preached and taught about why the Samaritan woman would have been an outsider. I'll leave you to consult a commentary on that. But to try to make it incarnational for us, the Samaritan woman would be perhaps as hated as a Trump supporter <laughs> or as isolated as a member of the Italy team after the Euros. <laughs> the feeling in the souls of the Jewish people would have been as inherently deep as the way that we felt in that moment towards either of those individuals. And the one who should have been outside is by Jesus, invited into conversation, seen for more than just her stereotype, and told the story of everlasting hope in a beautiful and radiant sentence. Jesus speaks to the place of her greatest need and identifies that from him flow fountains and rivers of living water. And just a little challenge. I wonder today if you needed to speak of the beauty of who Jesus is in just a sentence, what that sentence would look like, what it would look like for you to speak of the way Jesus is beautiful in a way that might make sense for the barista and the cashier and the next door neighbor. And Jesus, even from his weariness, reminds us in verse 14, those who drink from the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It will become in them a fresh and bubbling spring. It will lead to eternal life. And the woman responds with eagerness, give me this water. And then gently and clearly, but boldly, Jesus does something that's unexpected, and as an evangelist, something I'm not always ready to do. Jesus speaks from his weariness into her wounds. And in the way that only he can, he peels back her varnish, and he speaks to her place of deepest insecurity and shame. And wherever you're at in your faith journey today, I pray that you know that there is nothing hidden from our God and that he meets you in the place of your deepest wounds with the intimate love of his presence towards us. Find that so often the thing I most need to remind myself and most speak over my community is this, we are deeply loved. Yes. We are more loved than we ever would dare dream or imagine. We are loved far more than we could ever deserve and we are loved to the end. I have a dear friend who recently gave me this beautiful analogy. She'd lived through the betrayal of working for a large-scale ministry where the founder had abused over 200 women. And she was dealing with 
the fear and the pain and the disillusionment of living through that experience. And she said that the thing that she does most often is she just sits in a chair and spends time inviting Jesus to behold her and speak his love over her. Sometimes I think we are compelled to speak out our love towards Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing. But there's this moment where our God speaks his unfailing love over us. And I pray that you've experienced something of that. There's this beautiful book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, And in that book, Dane says these words, the kindness of Jesus is kinder even than we would choose to be towards ourselves. And there's something in this passage where the picture of Christ is the picture of the one who enters into the wounds and speaks deep love. And the woman, when asked what it looks like in the midst of that wounding to encounter Jesus, she tells a partial truth. But then when she realizes that the Messiah is here among her, she asks a hard question and sets out all of her expectations. What will it look like for eternal worship to happen in the presence of God? And Jesus' response to her, which for the sake of time I will not read again, is quite simply this. I am the answer to all your weariness and all your wounds. And your story is safe with me. And again, just a little word. Your story is safe with Jesus. Yeah. I think there's this invitation for us today to lay down our armor and reveal our scars, to show Jesus even our ugly places. To say to him, there's no need to wear an armor over our wounds anymore. As it says in Psalm 147, verse 3, our God heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. And ultimately, these things, they call us to a wonder in the presence of God. Jesus has had this unexpected reaction where his followers are shocked and uncertain at the way he's choosing to do things. And this woman becomes the very first evangelist, the one who goes back to her hometown and her home city and says, come and meet Jesus, the one who has shown and told me all that I ever did. And Jesus speaks to this woman of eternal life, of true joy, of everlasting hope. And in the presence of this God who loves, we read in this passage of scripture that not only are many called into relationship with Christ, but there's a harvest that will be yet to come for a generation and a generation and a generation to follow. And I, I'd like to close with just a, a quite personal story of what it has meant for me to encounter Christ in the way that this woman did. My story is very different to hers, but one of the areas where I most saw the presence of God come with me and give me rest was last October when I accidentally climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, which sounds like the best humble brag of all time, but is actually true. And as I was preparing to climb this mountain quite literally, which some of you will have other, had other mountains that you've climbed in these last 18 months, 
someone really wise said to me, choose a passage of scripture and as you climb, repeat that passage of scripture to yourself. The passage I chose was from Exodus chapter 33 where it says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And I was in this moment of climbing up the hill and if you've ever summited a mountain before, it's cold and it's dark and I was physically ill and it's midnight and you're having altitude sickness and your oxygen is low. I mean, it is all the things. It was the best, worst decision I've ever made. Much like so many places on our faith journey, it was harder than I could ever tell you and more beautiful than I could ever imagine. And as I was climbing the mountain, I could only take one step at a time. And I would just repeat over and over that scripture, my presence will go with you and give you rest. My presence will go with you and give you rest. And as I was climbing for that six hours before summit, my strength dwindled and dwindled and dwindled again. And I had with me a very good guide. And he began to take first my water bottle, then my extra layers, then my backpack, and by that last home stretch, my guide was carrying all of my burdens for me. Wow. And then there's this moment, and he said to me, Sarah, as soon as the sun rises, God will give you the strength to finish. And literally, as soon as the sun rose, it was like hope rose up in my soul. And I stood at this summit moment, of Mount Kilimanjaro, viewing the most extraordinary natural beauty I have ever seen with my good guide carrying all of my burdens. Wow. And I thought, this is, of all moments, the parable for what it means for us to walk with Jesus. There are the moments where life feels uphill and obstacles feel against us, and we think in our physical strength, I will never make it. But our Father and our Savior and the Holy Spirit, they are with us. And it's almost as though Jesus is reminding us this morning, give me your burdens, give me your weariness, give me your wounds. Reclaim the place of wonder at simply being in the presence of Jesus. And I'd just like to invite you wherever you're at, might be at your kitchen table, might be in a busy and bustling office space, but if it's both possible and appropriate, I'd like to just invite you to take a moment to kneel. And the invitation I'd like to give us today as we do this is simply to say, Holy Spirit, you see my story. You know my weariness and you love me through my womb. We pray for a deeper and more intimate sense of your presence that is with us. And you may, this morning as I've been speaking, have named a burden or an obstacle that you know you have been carrying, but it belongs to Jesus. So I'd just like to invite you right now to name that Thing. And to say, Jesus, I thank you for being a good guide. And I choose to release that to you.
And I pray, Holy Spirit, for the, for the men and the women and the teens and the children, for the old and the young who are joining me in this prayer today, will you recapture our hearts with the wonder and the beauty of your love. May we find our truest sense of home with you. If there's any here today who have not yet known Jesus in this way, then there's just the simplest invitation I know, which is to say, Jesus, make yourself at home in my heart today. And we're going to enter a time of worship and just sing these words, how he loves us. I pray as we do, that you would be recaptured by a new sense of the wonder of God's love for us. And we seal these things in the name that is precious to us above all others, in the name of Jesus. Amen.